Thanks for joining us through the Crossbridge Podcast. We hope this message speaks to you wherever you may be on your spiritual journey and helps you take your next step of growth in your relationship with Jesus. For more information about Crossbridge or to speak with one of our ministry team members, please visit crossbridge.church. I can't think of where I'd rather be on Valentine's weekend with Glenda than with you guys here. So thank you for this invitation. Thank you, executive team, Pastor Sherry, Pastor John, um, Pastor Kevin and Rachel, just your hard work. I can't mention all the staff because I won't remember all the names, but you guys are making an impact in the city. You've grown a congregation large enough to impact systems in the city, as well as to touch different parts of the world, like with World Vision and so forth. You're a blessing in the city, and uh, as we regather after COVID, I'm trusting with you that the best for you is yet to come as well as for the whole church in the city of Ottawa. What I mean by that is, we have a slogan at Christ Community. We say there's one church in this city with many congregations. And one of the things I appreciate about my relationship with Kevin and the team here is that we live that reality. We act as if, because it's true. And um, we thank God for the privilege of being on mission together uh, in this city. I also want to say uh, greetings to those who I don't see, like those who are in Peru. God bless you over there. Now, you guys are more used to live feed than I am. That's kind of new for me. And so I'm just having a new experience in preaching by faith, that there are people out there I can't see. And God bless those of you in Peru. And those of you who are at home, maybe in your pajamas already or got a blanket over you, nice to be with you as well and looking forward to opening up the Word of God together here soon. Now, I know that on your website, you've got this uh, homepage that says, Life is Better Together, and it's a part of the theme of your small groups. And uh, I just want to take my message and build on that a bit on this particular Valentine's weekend. And I want to start by saying simply, life really is better together. And the truth of that statement doesn't require us to dig very far for the evidence of that. Young children know that life is better together. Last night it happened again. Uh, My little grandson came into the house, on one end of the house. I was on the opposite end of the house, and I had the pleasure of listening to his loud, excited voice all the way from one end to the other. Papa, my grandson knows. Little kids know that life is better together. On the opposite end of that spectrum, the elderly know that life is better together. The worst fear of the elderly is that they will die alone. The tragedy of the pandemic that we've been in is that so many people have had to die alone. Our hearts ache when we hear those stories because we know, and the elderly especially know, life is better together. Teenagers know that life is better together. Get them in a group, in a room, they're going to cluster together according to their various peer groups. It's just the natural thing for them. And if, the, if they're not person to person in a group, they're on their electronics, knowing and acting as if life is better together. Younger adults, middle-aged adults, sometimes even senior adults. How about those dating apps? What are they about? People are getting online more than ever, searching for the right match because we're just hanging out there and believing that life would be better if we could be together. And so we spend so much time trying to find the right one to be together with. Even dogs know 
that life is better together. And I, yeah, there we go. There's my dog. And early in the morning, all she wants to do is sit next to me on the couch. In the evening, if we're watching the news, she just wants to cuddle under that blanket. My dog, even my dog knows that life is better together. So happy Valentine's Day. And what a great weekend to be talking about life is better together. And uh, I'm grateful for this opportunity. But it's not just humans and not just dogs that think life is better together. It's God's truth as well. To show this, I want to look at a little glimpse of a picture of heaven, a picture that the Bible gives us. It's in the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 21, second to the last chapter, easy to find. It gives us this picture about what heaven is going to be like for God. Now think about that for a moment. We typically think about what's heaven going to be like for me, as if I'm the main thing, right? Or what it's going to be like for you. What's, heaven, what's going to be, make heaven heavenly for God? Well, let's look at those verses, Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4. John, the Apostle John, is writing these verses, and he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Now, I want to call your attention to a, a pattern. What you'll discover is a pattern in this miniature picture of heaven. It starts with the Apostle John noticing that there's no more sea. Now, that gets my attention because the truth is, if I was having a vision of heaven, I would expect to see the sea, an ocean. That sea would be lined with white sand beaches, and the sun would be shining, and at least for a while I'd be laying on my back soaking it all in. But John notices there's no more sea. Now, what's going on with John not seeing the ocean or the sea? John is the last surviving of the 12 apostles. The others have been sentenced to death already. John has a reputation. He's known as the apostle of love. In fact, in his gospel, the gospel of John, he always refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. Later in the New Testament, he has several letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and anywhere you put your finger in those letters, you're going to find him talking about love, saying things like, for this is the message you've heard from the beginning, we should love one another. So what punishment could you give an apostle of love that might even be crueler than death itself? Well, it would be to put him in exile on an island surrounded by the sea so that he could never, for as long as he lived, have the better life, the together life with those that he loved. But John is getting a different picture on this particular day. 
He's not seeing the sea. He's not seeing all that separates him from those that he loves. And when he sees heaven, there's no more division. There's no more separation. Life in heaven is better because it's going to be together. So the first part of the pattern of those four verses that we read is that suddenly the sea of separation disappears. And those who love each other and those who love the Lord are suddenly together. Now the second part of the verses that we read together is a pattern that you'll see of loud, repetitious excitement. John's not the only one excited. In fact, it's God's voice that is the loud voice in those passages that we read. And God is so excited, yes, that God himself is repeating himself. He's saying, now... And since this is the end of the Bible, I'm going to change it to the word, finally, the dwelling of God is with men, and finally, I'm going to live with them, and finally, God himself will be with them and their God. And then the third part of the pattern in heaven is, and this might surprise you, tears. Yes, there are tears in heaven. Otherwise, we wouldn't have read just now that they're wiped away. I happen to think there are going to be tears in heaven and tears in hell. And the difference between heaven and hell is that in heaven, we're consoled, we're comforted. Our tears are wiped away. Now, I've got some interesting, exciting news for you guys today. I was able to get a video clip of a picture of heaven. Would you like to see it? Okay. Well, and to be honest, of course, the video is not of the physical place of heaven. But I promise you, if you paid attention to the pattern I just gave you, you're going to see heaven. Now, I want to give you a little backstory so you know what you're seeing. Uh, you're going to see a carpenter coming home from work. Now, for four years, he's never seen his younger brother because his younger brother lives across the ocean, the Atlantic Ocean in France. Better than that is he's never seen his mother for the last 10 years. She's been across on the other side of the same ocean, and he has no idea what's about to hit him on uh, this particular day. Now, mother and brother live in France, and there's going to be some French language. You're not going to understand some of what they say, but I promise you, you're going to know exactly what they're saying. All right, let's look at this little one-minute clip. Did you see that ocean of separation suddenly disappear when the door opened? 
Did you hear that loud and repetitious excitement, first with the brother and then with mom? And then did you notice how they grabbed each other's face and began to console and comfort and wipe away tears, just like in Revelation 21, on earth as in heaven. This family knows that life is better together. In fact, I did do a little research on this video, and it's a video that they used to promote a GoFundMe page because they were raising money to get brother and mother to come over and live with them in the United States. The truth is that life is better together is not just proven by what God does in heaven at the end of all things. It's been true from the very beginning of things. The creation story begins with a few what sounds like magic tricks. Let there be light, and there was. Let there be water separated above from below, and it was. And let there be land that appears, and there was. It just it sounds like it's like that. But there comes this point in the creation story where time slows down for God. And he bends the knee, apparently, and just begins to gather the mud and the dust and sculpts the features of the man that he wants to be with. He breathes into Adam the breath of life, and and he comes alive, and, and he commissions Adam not only to walk with God, but to work with God in the garden, and let's do life together. Yet there's this interesting moment in the creation story where not only, even though God has Adam and Adam has God and they have some worthwhile work to do, one particular day God brought to Adam all the animals of the garden two by two. And what would be noticeable by any, to any observer was every animal had somebody else like them to be with. And at the end of the day, it was God who said, it is not good for man to be alone. And so God put Adam to sleep, took one of his ribs, according to the story, formed a woman out of the dust of the ground, and demonstrated for Adam that God's own view from the very beginning of things is that your life is going to be better if it's together. And together they lived open, unashamed, at least for a while. Wouldn't it be great if the story ended there? Wouldn't it be great if our stories ended there? Boy meets girl in paradise and they lived happily ever after. We found our life partner, our mate, and we lived open and unashamed, naked and unashamed, together forever. The truth is that today we live neither in heaven nor in a garden called paradise, And beginning with Adam and Eve, our ancestors, and we ourselves have experimented with lifestyles and behaviors that seem to demonstrate that maybe we don't always think that life would be better together. Maybe there's something else that for the moment seems more important. And we stray. And the first thing that happens when we realize we've done wrong is we, we feel ashamed of ourselves and we start figuring out how to, how to cover myself and make myself look as good as possible. And, and when it gets worse, I've got to figure out who to blame. Is it her fault or his fault or, of course, my parents' fault? We always blame our parents, right? I've heard the problem with parents is that they had parents and so we can just keep on going back. So much of our conflicts have to do with trying to place blame. 
Many in the hearing of my voice during this Valentine's Day weekend know what it's like at some point in your life to just believe that you've found your soulmate. You've found the love of your life. Only later to discover that your relationship has become characterized by a cold distance or hot anger and accusation. The relationship that once felt so together, so like one, now feels separated by an ocean of hurt and confusion. If that's you, don't raise your hand. Recently, Glenda and I were cleaning out the basement, some old boxes from our basement, and to our amazement, we discovered that we had not thrown out our love letters from our dating days. Back when you still wrote in cursive, those kinds of letters, not even... Back when you would put the stamp upside down on the envelope. You remember that? People know what that means? That's the secret way of saying, I love you. You put the stamp upside down. I saw one of the envelopes that said, Miss Glenda Wirch, and I wrote in the word I, like I miss Glenda Wirch. Those kinds of letters. So we got a little distracted from cleaning out the basement and started reading letters, and and here's my conclusion. What kids we were. (laughs) I was 18 when I was writing those letters, and 19, I married her. Those letters are filled with anticipation and hope and absolute confidence, absolute 18-year-old confidence that we were the best for each other. And our married life would just be great always. We could hardly wait till next summer. We'd always be together, not only in the same house, but in heart as well. Married life for us didn't actually go that way. As I mentioned, I was 18 when I was writing those letters, and I did not even know what I wanted to be when I grew up. I just knew who I wanted to be with. Both of us remember growing tensions in the early years of our marriage. I was changing in my beliefs about God. That was bringing anxiety to both of us. And finally, I was getting an idea what I wanted to be when I grew up, but it required going to college. And so I commuted an hour and a half one way to college for several years from here. And that was time-consuming and expensive. And so financial and time pressures were growing. Glenda was experiencing her own growing pains. And the arrival of children while I was in college added to her responsibilities and burdens since I was going to college. I remember a particularly tense day. We were in the kitchen of our house, and we were arguing again. And it was hurtful and painful for both of us again. And I was mad. And in my anger, I slammed my fist on the counter so hard that my wrist was sore for weeks. That's when I knew we better get some help. We found a counselor and began years of work on ourselves and on our relationship. We didn't always go together to the counselor. We didn't always go weekly or even monthly. Some years, it was only once or twice that year. But for 20 years, until our counselor died, we had an ongoing conversation with him about ourselves and our relationship as we aimed to find the life that was better together. The good news for us is that the years of work on ourselves combined with Real and particular helps from God have allowed us to enter our 60s and enjoying the best years of our relationship. Yes, 
There are still some issues that still hold too much energy. We try to show respect to those and walk more carefully around them. And certainly there's still work for me to do on me, and I'm doing it. About once a month I talk to a spiritual director, but Glenda and I can both testify that life really is better together and it's worth working for. There's a slogan that I've come to appreciate which affects my attitude about those that I love with whom I still have some issues. It goes like this. Life is not a series of problems to be solved. It's a meal to be shared. Let me explain. As long as I thought that my marriage and love and Glenda were a series of problems to be solved, I'd get caught up in diagnosing and blaming and offering suggestions for her improvement. It didn't work. It was arrogant on my part. I had my own things to work on, even if I was still blind to them. But if instead I would take the posture of just being in this life together with its highs and with its lows and have a heart just to listen and care, life became less like a fight and more like a meal together. Some meals are steak dinners, some meals are hot dogs, some meals are your favorites, and ah, okay, but whatever, it's just a meal together, and it's a lot better than a fight together. I remember when my counselor told me that the older he got, the less he tried to cure people, and the more he tried to care. Less curing and more care is an important way forward to enjoy the better life that is together. Now the truth is, I had a particular meal in mind when that phrase, life is not a series of problems to be solved, but a meal to be shared, came to me. I was thinking of the Last Supper. It's the meal Jesus was having one last time with his disciples before his death. The first thing that I want to point out about that meal is that around the table was a cast of characters full of dysfunction. Jesus doesn't just hang around healthy people. Jesus invites dysfunctional people to his table. There's a treasurer at his table who's a known thief. The same treasurer's already scheming about how to betray him. And the Bible tells us he's being demon-possessed right at the table. And you thought some of your family dinners were interesting. There's an impetuous friend who's clueless about the ways of the kingdom, and he's going to make promises that he won't be able to keep. And I could go on. If Jesus thought that life and love and discipleship was a series of problems to be solved, that meal would have been quite different on that day. You know how he invited them to the meal that day? I've eagerly desired to be with you, to have this meal with you. I know you don't get it. I know one of you is going to betray me. I know the rest are going to run and hide. But still, I'd rather be with you than be alone Let's have this meal together. He offered them hospitality. He gave them reassurance. They broke bread together. After the meal, they sang hymns together. Jesus invited them to pray with him. They struggled. They fell asleep. And Jesus brought them anyway. If Jesus considered me and us just a series of problems to be solved, can you imagine what our relationship with him would be like? Can you imagine if 
he had treated the Last Supper that way? Here's, here's how it would have gone. Jesus would have been handing out his cell phone number saying, hey, you feel tempted? You call me. Whatever you do, don't let that happen. He'd have been assigning accountability groups for them so they didn't fall. And instead, he's just saying, I'd, I've eagerly desired to have this meal with you. Let's break bread together. I want to remind you of one of the greatest offenses that Jesus committed against the religious world. He sat with sinners. Jesus, by his life, declared, life is better together. For all of his life, Jesus knew and practiced this life together being better way of living. How strongly did Jesus believe that life was better together? So strongly that if the issue was blame, then Jesus was willing to take the blame. If the issue was that someone needed to be humiliated for that offense that was done, Jesus said, let the humiliation fall on me. If the issue is that somebody needs to pay for what was done wrong, there's got to be a penalty for that. Jesus said, I'll take that penalty even if it means death. Because I believe that Jesus believed with all of his heart that the motive of his father so strongly was that life was better together that father was not going to let Jesus stay in that grave. And sure enough, just as Jesus had prophesied on the third day, the sea of death that separated him from his friends was suddenly rolled away. And what did Jesus do? Went looking for his friends. Not for revenge, not to say to them, I told you so. He was there to be together with them. He was there one more time to reassure and restore them. Then after a few weeks, Jesus gathered his disciples one more time and said he'd be leaving again, but that while he was gone, he's going to be on a mission to prepare a house, a grand house like you've never seen before. And what characterizes this house is that it has many, many, many rooms. Why? Because that's where we're going to live together in heaven. Because life really is better together. Paradise incubated it. Heaven anticipates it. Jesus lived it. And today he invites each one of us to not wait until all our problems are solved but to come now and be together with him, not just because you want it, he wants it. Will we accept his invitation to the better together life? I wonder if you'd bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, I bless your name. I bless you for the picture of the excitement of of Jesus as he loudly repeats himself. Finally, we're together. I'm asking in the name of Jesus that everyone in the hearing of my voice would have faith to trust that God really believes that his own life would be better if you and I and we and each of us could be together with him. I remember one of the names you gave Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God with us, together with us. And together we remember the price Jesus paid to make togetherness possible. 
We remember that he just declared the forgiveness of sins. There need be no barrier to being together. I simply ask today that you would help us each to say yes. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Crossbridge Podcast. The mission of Crossbridge is to lead others into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And we'd love to partner with you on your spiritual journey. So please let us know how we can come alongside you and support you and pray for you by visiting crossbridge.church.